Welcome to the Eastern Current Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, here today to bring you another episode. On today's episode, I sit down with Ty Nelson of Florida Fishing Products as we discuss his passion for shallow water fishing, his dedication to restoring and conserving the shallow waters that these fish live in, as well as Florida Fishing Products as a whole. If you haven't already, check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast, where you'll catch conversations between myself and my other guide buddies about when we're fishing, where we're fishing, and how we're catching fish. It's chock full of great information, and if you like the Eastern Current podcast, I know you'll love their Patreon-exclusive Ramp Talk podcast. You'll also find other video content that you can't find anywhere else on our Patreon page. I've got some big news for 2023. I'm bringing on Captain Cameron Pappas from Blackbird Guide Service, as well as Captain Ozzy from Marker 23 Charters, and they'll be hosting weekly podcasts on the Eastern Current platform. They'll be bringing on great guests that you haven't heard before, and I'm sure that you'll like the podcast. Well, I hope you enjoy the episode. Ty, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me today, man. This is uh, Ty from Florida Fishing Products, like I was talking about. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. I really, I really appreciate it. Actually, I think I had seen on Instagram you'd reached out to us in the past about getting on the podcast, so I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen here. Yeah, definitely. It, it, I had reached out, I think, in some of the early days, the early on days of the podcast, maybe a few years back, and um, I think you know, timing. Or this timing should be perfect. I think we're we're ready for it now. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, uh, it's a good thing you didn't uh, catch me then, because I feel like we we're we we're young and reckless at that point, and uh, now uh, we've we've matured a little bit more, or at least I have as a as a business owner and uh, uh, in the fishing industry, just as a, as an angler as well. But definitely, hopefully, uh, we can keep this interesting for the uh, for the listeners. I don't know, man. If you were young and reckless, that might have been the more interesting conversation to have back then. <laughs> for sure, man. For <laughs> sure, we we definitely used to get ourselves into some trouble. Which, uh, if you know, now I'm thinking about it, I guess I'll have to bring the story up. Yeah, I, I got to hear it. It's worth it, man. Yeah. So, um, early on, like the inception of Florida Fishing Products, we kind of were just uh, figuring things out and trying a lot of different things. And, uh, and, and that, that involved ruffling feathers. And I, it wasn't like purposeful. Like, we didn't really want to upset people ever, but like we like to joke around. And, and my, my business partner at the time, Tim Summer, was really big into satire. And I don't know if you remember, um, when the solar eclipse came through back, I think in like 2017, I'm oh, sure yeah. it's in some sense, but it was a big one. It was supposed to, I think, go right through Georgia. And so that was like a prime time area to see it. Um, but anyways, I remember people kept on asking uh, me and my buddies like, Hey, are you going to buy those solar eclipse glasses? And we're like, no, no, man, we got Costas. We got Costas. And we were really, <laughs> really confident in our fishing glasses, you know? Right. And uh, the day came for the, the solar eclipse. And my buddy and I went out, me and Tim, we started like trying to look up and look at the solar eclipse we're in our coasts and there was like zero chance that we were going to be able to see it. Like the sun is so bright, like you're not going to be able to stare at it with just a normal pair of glasses, right. but we were ignorant, you know, we just had no clue. We were just so confident in our, in our, in our glasses and our coasts that we thought that, you know, it would work. And, you know, we actually ended up putting multiple pairs on and so that we were able to see the solar eclipse that way. Yeah. And then finally we got an actual pair of like solar eclipse glasses and you could actually see it really well from there. But following that, it was just so funny because so many people had said the same thing. Like, man, I'm just going to wear my coasters and wear my coasters. And so 
my business partner decided to write this satire article on the Florida Fishing Products website. And it's basically 10,000 coastal wearers go blind through the solar eclipse. And the whole article was really like beefing up Costa, like talking about how good we thought the glasses were. Right, and right. really it just made us as anglers look kind of dumb and ignorant that we thought we could actually stare at the sun uh, without you know getting any sun damage. So anyways, the article actually picked up a lot of traction and it, it reached like 10,000 people, which was a ton for us at the time. You know, Normally we had maybe 100 people on the website and that night we had 10,000. And so uh, the, the, I guess, Costa General In-House Counsel, their, their attorney got a hold of it and uh, he pretty much called us and, and made us shut it down and, and offer an apology, actually. So oh, that man. was, you know, one, one of many young and reckless stories in the early days of sort of fishing products. But that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it's, it was all in good fun. Man, any exposure is good spo- exposure, right? Maybe not when you're Costa and when you're that big already, you're like, you don't want to mess around with that kind of stuff. But I think that's hilarious. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. So kind of give me, first off, give me your backstory as an angler, how it brought you to, you know, building out Florida fishing products to, the, to what it is today. But let's talk about originally like your love with for, for inshore and, and well, any type of fishing really. Give us your backstory. Cool. So I was born and raised down in Southwest Florida um, on the Clusa Hatchie River. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure. Um, my dad uh, owned a house on the Clusahatchee, so like my backyard is like overlooking the water, you know, as I was raised as a kid. And so we had just such easy access to, to inshore saltwater fishing in our backyard. You know, we would catch uh, redfish and snook and jacks and tarpon. And, you know, I remember in the summers we'd cast that mullet on my neighbor's beach and then we'd throw the mullet out and we'd catch, you know, big sharks and uh, big jack avail and tarpon doing that as well. So, you know, that, that's kind of how it, I guess it initially started is we just had that, that access right, you know, right behind our house. And it's funny, actually, I mean, we had like a ridiculous amount of access. So we had the Coosahatchee River in the backyard. In the front yard, there's actually a neighborhood pond that's full of tilapia and bluegill. Uh, there's actually mullet and blue crab. So really, it's like plentiful with bait. And uh, we also had a, a neighborhood dock system where all the, all the neighbors would keep their, their boats on lifts. So we had like basically the trifecta. We had this, uh, you know, pond in our front yard, river in our backyard, and a couple, you know, about a quarter mile away, there's a big dock system, canal system. And so we actually used to cast net um, bluegill and tilapia in the pond, and we'd walk down to the canal, and we'd actually chum the mangroves with bluegill, which we found they don't survive very well in the brackish water. And so they actually would float up to the surface. And the snook that lived in the mangroves back there would actually pop on the bluegill up on the surface. And what we also found is the, the small tilapia, the four to like eight inch tilapia were like the perfect size for big snook and they could withstand the brackish water. So we would actually use those, those big tilapia or those mid-sized tilapia for, for big snook bait. That's awesome. Um, and, and so that's kind of how it all got started, just having so much access to, to saltwater fishing right around us. And then, you know, as we got older, you know, we had access to kayaks and our parents would go drop us off in Pine Island Sound, which is about a 30 minute drive from where we're at, North Fort Myers. And so, you know, as we were growing up, we would, we would look towards guys, which I don't know if you're familiar with them, but a guy like David McLeese, who's a photographer, uh, who's done a lot of stuff with Florida sportsmen and yeah, a number yeah. of other, um, um, you know, magazine companies as well. He basically took really high end photos and, and kind of pioneered 
like kayak fishing in Southwest Florida. And, you know, at least for us as kids, like we look towards him on the Florida Sportsman Forum, him and a couple other guys like Shane Edgar and uh, this other guy named Doug. And so anyways, we would, uh, we would kind of see these guys on Florida Sportsman and then we'd get our kayaks and we'd go out there as young kids and kind of do what they did. And so we started to learn how to, you know, fish for tailing redfish and catch big trout on top water. And eventually we learned that there's grouper out there in the potholes. So we catch a gag grouper inshore in about six feet of water um, in, inside so of Pion Sound. So, you know, it was just crazy, like the amount of, of good fishing we had in our area. I mean, it, for me, it's kind of like, I don't know how people lived in this area and didn't get into fishing like, you know, me and my buddies got into fishing as kids. And it's funny now, you know, as I've gotten older, I look back at some of my friends in the area and they're just starting to get into fishing and they're getting really passionate about it. And they're like, Ty, man, like, why didn't you ever take me out there? And I was like, I asked, <laughs> I asked you countless times. Do you want to party? You wanted to, you know, you wanted to go, well, we played sports too. You wanted to play sports. You wanted to go skateboard. You wanted to do these things while we were out fishing, you know, you just declined it. It's, uh, it's so funny now these 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 kids or kids now the young young adults or maturing adults in their young early 30s you know they're just starting to get into fishing and they're getting really passionate about it but yeah so being born and raised in southwest florida it's just there's so much access to, to good good fishing and so i really think that's what initially started um, at least my passion for, for saltwater fishing and you know as the years went by i started getting more into the competitive side of fishing and I actually remember my, my freshman year of, of high school at Norfolk Myers High School. Uh, somehow my buddy and I got in good with the head coach of the football team. And we used to, we, we started fishing tournaments with him. And so we kind of thought we were, you know, hot shit and, as freshmen in high school because we knew the, that head coach and we, we were buddies with him. And I remember the first tournament we fished with him, we, we were fishing the Fort Myers High fishing tournament, which is like our arch nemesis pretty much. They're the rivalry team. Um, at least when it comes to football and just schools. So this was their tournament they were hosting, and us North Fort Myers boys went in there, and we took third place. So we thought we were really cool. Um, but, man, that just gave me, like, this, uh, I don't know, excitement for competitive fishing. Like, to be able to, as a young kid, to be able to be up on the stage and, and earn a check and, you know, say you beat some of the best fishing guides and anglers in the area. Something about it was kind of, I don't know, it was, it was addicting. And so year after year, I got into more and more tournaments and, you know, I, we generally, we were pretty good. Like my buddies and I would place top, top 10 or top five in a large majority of these tournaments. And, you know, we never made big money because they're kind of smaller local tournaments, $5,000 payouts, stuff like that. But definitely like the, the time, like we, we, we were committed as if we were, uh, you know, an FLW uh, bass angler or right, bass right. master classic angler, you know, like we, we went all the time like thursday evenings we go out and catch bait um you know actually thursday evenings we go out and we catch crabs at night and then friday after school we would go out and we catch white bait and pen it up behind the house and then saturday we'd fish all day long for a tournament and sunday usually we you know whatever bait we had left over we just go mess around for fun so we spent a lot of time preparing for tournaments a lot of time just spent on the water figuring things out you know we we didn't know anything like we had no like real skill at the time. We just had the time and right. the ability and the, the access to the water. Cause you know, at a young age we had you know progressed from kayak fishing into, into boat fishing. And my, my dad had a little 19 foot bay boat that 
that we fished out of for years. And then eventually my buddy's uncle had bought like a 20 foot Shearwater, which is a little bit of a nicer bay boat. And that ended up being our, our tournament boat. So yeah, we just, man, we just had this, I don't know, we had such a great upbringing. We were so blessed to have so much access to the water and have access to boats and access to, um, to getting into fishing tournaments at such a young age. You know, as time went on, we just met more and more people in the fishing industry. And, you know, I, I in particular ended up, um, you know, I, I left, left a home to go to UCF, University of Central Florida in Orlando. And um, I got into kayak fishing tournaments during that time. And so I kind of branched out from my Southwest Florida roots um, of, you know, inshore saltwater fishing from bay boats and using live bait. Uh, and I got into, you know, artificial fishing from the kayak uh, in, the, in tournaments in particular. And I started doing really well in, on, on that side of things, winning a lot of kayak tournaments, placing top five in a lot of those tournaments. And I started meeting a ton of people in the kayak fishing sphere. And then shortly after that, I ended up getting a marketing job at Hell's Bay Boat Works, which, you know, is very notable for fly fishermen and inshore, you know, sight fishermen, and like really like a high, high end um, of the fishing uh, community. So I had all these different connections in a real short amount of time. I just met a ton of people from Southwest Florida, from Central Florida. And then once I got you know connected with Hell's Bay, I was meeting people from Texas all the way up to your area in North Carolina and yeah. even further up the coast. And so uh, everything kind of just, I guess, gets clicked after that. You know, I, I kind of came to this realization um, that I didn't really want to be a fishing guide. Um, I, you know, I, I love to fish. I love to be on the water, but I, I didn't, necessarily want to put people on fish for a living you know you've lived it so you, you know that pretty well right it's tough work right it can be tough work and uh yeah i mean absolutely it's like it's very difficult work because you know you're at the mercy of of the weather you're at the mercy of the tides and and the time of year and also the anglers like there's so many variables which makes it a challenge i mean i see why people love to guide but it's, it's very difficult so i kind of you know Around around the time I was about twenty twenty one, I realized I don't want to be a fishing guide, but I do want to do something in, in the fishing industry. And it was actually in April twenty sixteen, my good friend Tim called me. And he was one of the kids I was raised in my neighborhood with, and you know we had a lot of experience fishing together as kids. And we actually split ways. When I went to UCF, he went to USF in Tampa. We kind of had a whole different college experience than I did. And so towards the end of our college experiences, as we were graduating, we kind of came back together and. You know, he called me and basically said, hey, man, we should start a business together. And um, initially, we had no clue what we were going to do. We just kind of went back and forth. And finally, we were, we were looking at the fishing industry because we both had that, that passion together. And we were looking at the issues with it. And this was like right after January 2016. When we had some really bad red tide in southwest Florida. And um, this is basically like like for the first time we really saw how bad our water quality was um, in Florida. And so that, that really fired us up and we started looking around like, who's doing anything about this? What's Shimano doing? What's Penn doing? What's Daiwa doing? What are all these big companies doing about this? And everyone was quiet. It was crickets, you know, and it just wasn't on their radar. But for us, it was like the end of the world, man, our fishery right. is dying. And so basically because of that, we decided, Hey, let's make, let's make a fishing company. Let's go into fishing and let's specifically, see if we can make a spinning reel, you know, like these other companies, they're making fine products. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no like small local 
spinning reel company. You have, you have small local rod companies and fly companies and lure companies. But at the time, no one had really tried spinning reels. And we were kind of like, why, we didn't know why that was. Um, and now I, I know it's, it's very difficult to do. But, uh, <laughs> you know, at the time, we we're like, we can do this. I think we can create at least a comparable product to these big brands. But like along the way, let's raise awareness for conservation. Let's give money back to conservation. Let's just be different than what these big companies are, you know, and, and let's help try and find a solution. And so it was, it was kind of cool, like in those early days that we did a lot of stuff. Like I was saying at the beginning, we were, we were young and reckless, but we were also just jumping at every opportunity we could find. And uh, my buddy, Tim, my business partner at the time, reached out to Daniel Andrews and Chris Whitman at Captains for Clean Water. And he actually built their first website. He just donated the, the time and effort and kind of made that connection there. So that was kind of our, our getting our feet wet in conservation. And then as time went on, you know, we just kept on building more and more relationships in the fishing industry and um, just kept on, uh, you know, just investing more and more of, of, uh, of our, our time into developing products. And I guess I kind of skipped that part. We, we uh, you know, we, uh, when we decided that we were going to produce a spinning reel, we really had no prior knowledge of, um, of fishing reels other than our, our own experience, years and years of using reels. So we reached out to a bunch of manufacturers and essentially just got samples sent from all over the world. And um, from like the 10 that we'd reached out to, we found one company that was a younger manufacturer um, that had an interest in making better products and kind of off the bat, we're like, Hey, like they can already make a good product. If we can tweak this a little bit to our standards, I think that we can really create some traction with this thing. And so this was, uh, like I said, April, 2016, initially that, uh, that we had the first idea. And, and by June, we had received samples by July, we had already kind of picked the company we wanted to roll with. We'd already uh, created that all-black look that, that you talked about earlier with our initial Osprey spinning reel. You know, because what we noticed and what, what we basically um, had decided on is we really needed to do three things with our reel. We needed a reel that um, was really sleek looking. So that's why we made it all black. I needed to be extremely smooth because that was just the number one factor for most anglers at the time. If you picked up a reel and it, it felt smooth in your mind, this is quality. And right. then three, we, we wanted it to be under a $200 price point. And so those were like the three factors that we were looking at. And with this manufacturer, we were able to do all those things. It was the, the initial reels that we brought to market were extremely smooth. They looked really sleek and good. And at the time, I think we launched them at $99. So we were well below this $200 price point that we were aiming for. And man, it just, it took off. It did really well. You know, we had sold a lot of pre-orders. Um, I remember our, our first order went in in July, 2016, and we received it November of 2016. So we had a good bit of time, you know, four or five months to figure out how to market this thing. And uh, I remember we had this initial sample and dude, I went to, Every single event I could go to, CCA banquets, and um, this is prior to, to Captains for Clean Water, you know, some of their events, like they had, were established, but they weren't really like big yet. Right, so right. Um, we were going to CCA events at the time, and we were going to fishing tournaments and, you know, uh, tackle shops. They'd, they'd be hosting, um, you know, different events with guides and different speakers. So we just show up and we just talk to people and show them the real, like, what do you think about this? And, 
everyone loved it. Like they were all about it. They thought it was super cool. The reel feels great. It looks great. This is going to do well. And so we're like, hey, you can you know pre-order on our website, floridafishingproducts.com. And by the time we got to November, we had pretty much sold all of our, our reels that we had initially ordered. It was a total success with the, the initial launch. And I remember thinking uh, when we first placed the order, man, talk about young and reckless. I, I had used $7,500 of student loan debt to, to place the order. And my buddy Tim, he actually, he's a year older. He had a little more uh, experience and, and he was married at the time. So he had a little money he actually had to put into the business, but I was taking out student loan debts and he was putting a little bit of cash from another business <laughs> into this business. So we had 15 grand in total to start our order. And, um, yeah, we were able to recoup all those costs with all the pre-orders that, that we made. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, I remember like at worst case scenario, um, we're just going to have spinning reels for life. <laughs> you know, awesome. like I'm never going to need to buy another reel. Unfortunately, it, uh, you know, things worked out. And, and you still have spinning reels for life now. I, yeah, now I have uh, spinning reels for life for me, my, my son, my wife, my family. Right. And many, many other people. <laughs> That's cool. But uh, yeah, man. So it, it transformed from, uh, you know, this, this idea in 2016. And year over year, this became more of a business. And um, it's funny, actually, the time when, when I started FFP with Tim, it was, uh, it was 2016. I was just about to start law school. So July 2016, we got our first samples. August 2016, I had started my first year of law school. And then by the end of that year, I felt like FFP was, was cranking. You know, we had, we had done great. I think we sold like almost a thousand reels. So a thousand anglers that had, you know, decided they were going to invest in us. And, and man, I was just, I was hyped on it. You know, we weren't making any real money, but we were seeing traction. We were seeing orders come through and people liked what we were doing. So I actually dropped out of law school, which pretty much is a sure thing. You know, my, my dad was an attorney. He was willing to pass his business on to me, but you know, that just wasn't what I was interested in. And, you know, Florida fishing products was my, my passion. It was my baby at the time. And so I went all, all in. Uh, back in, in 2017 and then yeah year over year just kept on uh, building the business and uh, adding new product lines you know we started with our original Osprey spinning reel and then we transitioned into our Osprey carbon edition and then at the same time we also launched another reel which is our Osprey saltwater series and so the two were like um, they're you know contrasting reels one was a you know lightweight skinny water sight fishing reel kind of like a Shimano Stratic uh, that was the Osprey CE, and then the Osprey Solar Series was more of like our heavy-duty, full be- full metal body reel that compared more to a, a, a pen. Um, so basically, the the Saltwater Series allowed us to move into like a bigger reel model up into like the five, six, and eight thousand size. So that was one of the main reasons we brought it out was for like bigger game fish. Yeah. Whereas like our Osprey CE, we just didn't have the capability of making it into like a big reel at the time. So. Um, anyways, like we split off into those two reels and then we started adding braided fishing line and and fluorocarbon leader. And then we, uh, we partnered up with a company called Bull Bay Rods and started selling rods. Um, and we've expanded into apparel and and dabbled with some different stuff, long sleeve shirts and short sleeve shirts. And, um, really that was, that was pretty much leading up into, uh, I guess, 20, 2020 by the time we'd launched those reels. So there's a few years in between where we were, um, just 
just grinding with our initial our initial reel and trying to get those into as many hands as possible. I'm sure the initial call we had with you when you came on board with us was probably we were probably calling you about the guide program if I had to guess. Yeah. Is, that, is that right? That was it. Yep. So we were we were pushing that hard at the time um, to kind of go into the reasoning behind that. You know, when we initially decided we were going to transition from e-commerce into retail, which is actually against my my will. I really wanted to stay a direct consumer e-commerce business. And my business partner, Tim, and our, our minority partner, Wyler, at the time decided like, hey, it's better if we go into retail. You know, it's going to get us bigger distribution. We're going to reach more anglers. Like, this is the right way to go. And I was like, I just don't think that's that's the way we should go, guys. But they outnumbered me two to one. So we moved forward with, uh, with the retail. Um, shoot, where was I going with that? We left my train of thought. You were talking about the guide um, program and then went into the retail. Oh, yes. So we decided we are going to go into retail, but very quickly with those guys. So like we geared up for that. We started ordering more products ready for retail. And the retailers were like, hey, who are you guys? How long have you been in business? Oh, you've only been in business two or three years. Well, when you're in business for five years, come back and talk to us. You know, we've seen companies like you go, uh, go under year after year. So we don't really think you're going to be here in, in two years. And so that was like a rude awakening for us. I was like, man, is this, although it is going really well, like we're not on top of the world. We're not like, you don't have the Midas touch or anything like that. Like the, these retailers who have actually been doing this for, for 20 or 30 years really just told us like, we don't even think you're going to be here. You're not even going to survive the next few years. And uh, so at that point we decided to pivot from retail and we look towards our guys. Like we already had a number of guys that were using the products that were really happy with the products. And so we decided, hey, let's start this guide program. Let's offer, at the time we were doing a buy five, get one free deal to uh, increase the average order value to make sure the guys were outfitting their entire boat with our reels. Right. And so they pretty much get six reels for the price of five with like a discount on top of that. And, um, you know, that's, that's really how we built the brand in the early years. Um, we, we utilized the guides and their influence and we utilized feedback. Um, and year after year, we kept growing our guide program. I, I think today we're, we're close to almost 300 guides across the United States, all the way from Washington to, to Maine. And, you know, the large majority are, are in the state of Florida, although we have a lot that are in South Carolina and North Carolina as well, a few in Texas and Louisiana. So they're all over, but, you know, we really have this amazing guide program. That, that, you know, in all honesty, if it wasn't for fishing guides, um, I don't know that we would be where we're at today as a business. Not that we're Shimano or Dial or anything like that, but, you know, as an now established business for six years, if it wasn't for those guides, I don't think we would have made it this far. We probably would have died out just like those retail, you know, those retailers had told us back in, you know, 2017, 2018. But, um, that's such a cool story, man. It, it's, it's, there's really no one that you'd rather have your your reels with than guides. I mean, not only are they using them day in and day out and, and purchasing rods but or purchasing reels, but their clients are getting to see them. You know, it's growing it. You know, it's it compounding every trip. More and more people get to know about the product and, and get to pick up the product and use it, um, which is just super cool. And I, I guess that's the value of a guide program for any company, mm-hmm. but especially like a reel, you know, where someone can get out there and really fish it. Like 
it, it's not mm-hmm. even as effective for uh, things like apparel or anything like that. Or when someone can pick up a reel, fish it, feel the a mm-hmm. fish pull the drag on it, you know, they're like, I got to get that reel. That's an awesome reel. I mean, I feel like that's the power for of, sure. of, uh, of getting, getting those reels in guides hands. And I remember that conversation, uh, when I was down in Hopedale, Louisiana that I had with somebody about y'all's reels or about y'all's guide deal. And, um, Mm-hmm. It went on from there, but yeah, they're uh, they're awesome reels. I mean, that's such a cool story. It's always so neat to hear the backstory of, of companies, and um, I think you know how y'all started with a f- real focus on wanting to you know make a difference and and focus on conservation is is cool. And I, I feel like companies like that, when people f- see the heart and the soul behind the company, you know, they're they're more attached and more likely to you know choose to you know, purchase their products and be a, you know, a FFP user, um, use y'all's reels, not only because they like the reel, but because they like what y'all are about. And I think that's, that's the most important, you know, thing for a company to do is, is, is align with those conservation efforts, at least in our realm yeah. of work. Um, so how, oh, absolutely. how have over the years with, with your fishing and then picking up these reels, what are some of the things that you feel like <laughs> you've been able to kind of bring to the table for a spinning reel? That makes sense. Um, I guess reef reef or can you say that one more time? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was it was a question, but I just realized it probably wasn't worded mm-hmm. very well. But as far as what are some of the the features on y'all's reel that you've been ca- kind of able to dial in over the years? As um, y'all have been one as an angler, kind of growing, growing and building y'all's reels. Mm-hmm. What are some of the features that you really like with within them? Gotcha. Um, I'd say as an angler myself, I don't know how much I, I truly had to add to the, to the reels, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, we had so many good anglers that, that have used the reels and continue to use the, reel, the reels today that I think just my input itself is kind of minuscule almost compared to uh, the amount of feedback we received from so many different people. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say the, the number one thing early on that we noticed, and, and honestly, it was one of the other reasons we had started Florida Fishing Products to begin with, is, um, it, is really, it came down to the bearings on the reels. You know, I, I used to fish a lot of Shimano's, and they make phenomenal products. I think they do an awesome job, and they're a great company. But the, the reels that they were marketing to us as inshore saltwater anglers um, they're not really saltwater rated reels. They're really actually freshwater reels that we use for saltwater fishing. So they didn't actually hold up all that well to saltwater over time. And that was like one of the number one issues that we had found, or that at least that I had, I had with my own personal fishing early on was I burned through bearings so fast. And yeah. so I used to, I used to upgrade, uh, to Boca bearings on all my reels. I put them in, um, you know, in, in my Shimano's and, and that would usually keep me keep me running a lot longer. But at a certain point, they got they started using special tools um, for to get into the reels, and so I was no longer able to do that. And that was kind of like the point where we decided that we were gonna you know do our own thing. It happened it happened to be about the same time that we decided we were gonna do our own thing. But anyways, uh, with our reel, it's kind of the same thing. Initially, when we brought it to market, it worked great, but it was kind of the same same issues. We had issues with roller bearings and issues with some of the handle bearings and you know pretty much we had almost made a reel that was almost i want to say identical because it's not identical to the shimano strategy but it's very very similar and even the issues are very very similar so what we did was we uh we took this feedback from you know our own uses and all these different guides 
Um, and we, we upgraded our all of our bearings, uh, I shouldn't say all of them, specific bearings and specific parts of the reel that were exposed to salt water. We upgraded them to what we call eco-sealed bearings, which is essentially a, a type of rubber-sealed bearing. Oh, cool. And it's amazing. Since we did that, uh, that would have been with the introduction of our Osprey Carbon Edition back in January 2020, so almost three years ago. But since we made that change to, to remove uh, or to, to upgrade the, the eco-sealed bearings, the number of issues we've had with bearings has gone like, I almost like it's not even on our radar anymore. It went from being one of the number one issues to the, I guess, the smallest issue we have as a company. You know, we just don't even hear about it. So it was such like a simple fix just by just by upgrading the quality of a couple of internal bearings. You know, we went from a problem that we saw regularly, you know, every every week or so we would hear I hear about it to, you know, now it's a, with as many reels as we have out there, the few times we hear about it, it's, it's crazy. It's got to be less than a percent, less than one percent of anglers that use our reels have had uh, a roller bearing issue or, or a bearing issue since we introduced the, uh, the Osprey Carbon Edition. That's cool. Um, it, it seems like so many reels in the, you know, in the, not not y'all's reels, but just reels in general. That's the biggest issue: is bearings going bad. You, is it a is it a mm-hmm. is it an expense? Is, is it a lot more to get those rubber sealed bearings in those reels? Is that kind of what we don't see other companies doing that as well? It's not enough of an expense to justify other companies not doing it. Well, wow. the reason I think that they do it is it's built. The reels are built to fail. Um, they're not meant to last a long period of time, you know, and that's the reason why you see them come out with new reels every two years or so is by the time you get done with your two years with your, your new model, your, your reel is kind of fading out anyways. The components aren't lasting as long as, or as well as they, they were initially. And so it's time to upgrade something new's out there. It's time to upgrade. And, you know, they kind of do the same thing that, that Apple does, you know, your Apple, your, your iPhone 10 is great until two years in when your battery's no longer working and all the software updates have kind of slowed down the phone. And now they got the shiny new Apple 12 that's out or 13 or whatever it is now, the 14 Pro. And so they kind of get you to the point where you, you almost have to upgrade to the new one. Yeah. So I do think that's unfortunately part of the, the business model now is they, they build products to fail. It's almost um, like we're being trained to believe that like the life of a reel should only be X long. When really it can be yeah, longer with, it, with better bearings. Yeah, exactly. With better bearings and then minimal care too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like with, like within like the medical community, if, you, if everyone just knew the simple things you could do to take care of your body, you'd have a lot less people that needed pharmaceuticals and, and needed other medical uh, technologies or, or, or uh, procedures, you know, so they don't really focus heavily on those things. Um, like the preventative care, they really focus heavily on the, the solutions to your problems. And I, I think the same thing with fishing reels and just fishing gear in, in general. I think with minimal um, preventative care, like basically servicing your reel once every six months and then just spraying it down after use or utilizing something like cleanse oil or reel magic, like literally your reel could last a lifetime unless maybe you're fishing so often like a fishing guide does. Right. That you know you're just putting an, an abnormal amount of wear and tear on your product, but I would say the normal like average angler um, that fishes maybe ten to fifteen times a year, which is actually above average, but 
you know, say someone who finished 10 to 15 times a year, there's no reason why their reel shouldn't be able to last them a, a lifetime yeah. with basic preventative care and just a, a little bit of maintenance. That's super cool, man. It, it's always the bearings that fail. Like I'm sitting here looking at my trailer in my shop right now and like there's grease mm-hmm. all over all of my rims and all my, all my duck boat trailer because it's like the bearings they go they little salt water in there and they grind against yep. each other and and that's that that's where the issue lies what are some of the other big issues that you feel like you know people see in their spin reel that that um because I, I guess they're really the bearings is is the main thing and one thing that i've noticed i've mm-hmm. never had an issue with one of y'all's but like my bail that flips open on other reels that i've fished uh, some mm-hmm. I, I used to fish a lot of quantum reels and they would uh over time and sometimes not that long, like that bale wouldn't fully click open and close. Mm-hmm. It, it, what, what component within the reel is that, that I see go, I mean, I see that in a lot of different reels. It's a real spring. Okay. That's inside of the, the bale arm. And so uh, over time, um, those bale springs can definitely wear down. And so that's why I won't click close quite as easily as it would in the past. And, you know, on, on that particular part, I'm not as sure maybe that was something that was, on purpose or, you know, in, in that, uh, basically building it to fail or it just happened. So happened that that particular part they used, which is, you know, didn't, didn't last as long as they, they expected it to. For sure. But, you know, for, for us, we really haven't had many bail issues. I've never um, had one with like comes, reels. Yeah. That bail spring is solid. It's, it's a pretty heavy duty, um, bail spring. And I, I think part of that too, is we really early on, pushed a lot of anglers and try to educate them on like closing the bale by hand. hundred percent. I really think that helps a lot when you're closing it with the, the handle. Um, I think that puts more pressure over time on those bale springs. And so I think that's what wears them down a little faster too. But I remember early on, it was like every time we talked to someone, if we could be like, Hey, you know, just for actually the reason why we started doing it, it, it was related to our, our distance braided line. So, our distance braided line is an eight strand braid. It's kind of like Power Pro, uh, like uh, Super Slick or Power Pro Slick. I forget what the exact name is. Um, it's a really fine braid. It casts super far, but it's more prone to getting wind knots because it is so thin. And especially when you have anglers that are less experienced that don't manage their line well, you know, if, if they're the type that use the, the handle to close the bale, um, they're more prone to getting wind knots. So we started telling people, like, hey, if you want to limit your wind knots, make sure you close the bale. Uh, using your hand versus using the handle. And I think maybe that was part of the reason our, our, you know, bale springs have lasted so long, but I do also think it's just a, it's a high quality component in the reel. Um, and so that's helped it last longer as well. Yeah. That, but, um, uh, oh, and, sorry. And what were you saying? I was, I was just thinking of other, other, you know, issues that we've seen with spinning reels with other spinning reels and, and our own spinning reels. Um, you know, I do have, I guess, a funny story. Early on, we had a uh, an order of defective handles, which that's something I see pretty often with with all all brands. Um, at certain points, they'll have a, a, a you know a batch of reels that just have bad handles, and I, I think it's the the metal is just treated. Um, basically, it, it's too hot. The metal gets too hot, and after they treat it, the metal's brittle, and so it's more likely to break under pressure. And so you'll see like these handles that'll, that'll break on, on a big fish or even on a small fish. Just once they're under like a serious load, the handles will break. And so we've seen that, you know, all across the, the industry. And I think, you know, it's not necessarily the manufacturer's fault always. Sometimes it's just, you know, 
something that gets overlooked or there's, there's just a, right. a defect and that's why we have warranties to take care of issues like that. Um, but in our case, we, we had an issue like that with, you know, probably a hundred or more handles early on, which was a lot at the time. Oh yeah. You know, this is like 20, 2017. So what, you know, what we did is we basically just, we got a new order of handles and we replaced like a couple hundred handles at our own expense. And we thought it was going to be the end of us. Like people are just going to hate on us because we have handles that are breaking left and right on, on, small fish, you know, like don't want to catch a sea trout and break a handle or, or, you know, they catch a, a small, small catfish and break a handle. So it was like a serious issue. And so we were like, man, this is, this is the end. Like people are going to laugh us off the, you know, laugh us out of the tackle shops, laugh us off the internet. But what we found is by taking, you know, by getting on top of it and taking care of the angler well and being honest saying, Hey, this is a manufacturer defect. We've seen this with our reels. We're getting out ahead of this thing. We want to make sure that we take care of you. And by sending out these roughly 200 handles to, to anglers, the response we got was amazing. People were so happy that either we had replaced their handle after it had broken or like preventatively we sent them a new handle. So they're, you know, in case there's broke, um, they had a, a new non-defective handle and like people were just so, so excited about that they're like man your customer service is the best thank you so much you guys are you guys are awesome you know no other company would do this and for us it was like man this is the bare minimum we thought like we were totally screwing you guys over by sending out a product that was defective and turns out by taking care of them people were super appreciative and and basically you know it really helped um build the foundation for our customer service which i think is one of the, the number one aspects of our business that sets us apart is, you know, we, we really take care of the anglers really well, whether it's a fishing guide or an average weekend warrior or whoever, you know, we try to give people the time of day and hear their problems. And we try to always give good solutions. And um, we try not to overcharge for, for stuff that doesn't need to be overcharged for. And, you know, if we got to pay for the parts and the shipping to make someone happy, you know, we've done that time and time again. And, you know, fortunately on the, on the back end of that, people share that by word of mouth and tell people, you know, tell their friends, hey, Florida Fishing Products is a great company and make great products and they stand behind them with great customer service. And that really goes a, a really long way. So it, I just thought that, that story was funny thinking of like product issues. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had that uh, that issue uh, recently, but, you know, I remember when it did happen, it, it felt like it was the end of, end of the world. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've I've been blown away with by by Florida fishing products is y'all's customer service and so many other companies big and small in the fishing industry it seems so hard to get anyone to respond to you about an issue or, or let alone help you with an issue you know and so I think that is just a, a a huge you know it just goes further than we could ever know you know or y'all could ever know as a company to do that and it's cool to be able to see that through through the reels um through the real hand as they are able to send out but no that's really that's really cool I just had those questions because I've I've never really had many issues with, with, um, those reels and a lot of the other reels I've fished from other companies. I've, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but, but have quite a few issues and reels that just don't last long at all and have been taken good care of. So that, that means a lot. Mm -hmm. And the reel is, you know, a rod is a rod. I mean, there's not much going on with a rod, but there's so many little pieces that, that you have to dial in on a reel and make sure are durable. And I think I've done a really good job with that. So I do appreciate it. I appreciate it. but man, that what a what a cool story to hear um, how y'all started and how you got to where you are today, uh, and and I think it's going to be real eye opening. I've got a lot of listeners and 
Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, where, you know, Daiwa and Shimano and Penn and whatnot are, are the, the big hitters. But um, mm-hmm. I think that working and, you know, using a, a, a company like y'all's Reels and, and with, with good customer service and um, a really heavy quality control is, is way more beneficial than maybe going with one of the bigger names. And so hopefully it'll it'll get some good exposure and, and some of my listeners will, will pick up some Florida fishing reels and um, be stoked with them. But man, is there anything else uh, about about Florida fishing or, or, or about your, your fishery there? Oh, I think one of the things we wanted to talk about too was, and, and we're already at about 45 minutes, but um, was y'all's company or, or you're kind of right there in the Fort Myers area. Was that hurricane, did it affect mm-hmm. you much at all um, when it when it came up the coast? Oh yeah, I mean, definitely uh, from a, a living standpoint, it absolutely affects us where we are at. You know, I'm I'm fortunate to live off a, a canal here, off the Coosahatchee River, and you know, our our neighborhood. <clears throat> from the the report I got from my neighbor at, at 6 p.m. the night the hurricane was hitting, uh, basically there's four foot. Uh, what was it? There's white caps in the road in the in the roadway out front, and mm. the canal had uh, four or five foot swells. So it was, it was bad news for sure. And, you know, we had so many downed power lines in our area, um, you know, across the whole area it took, you know, probably six weeks, six to eight weeks to get all of the power back on. It's funny. Wow. I actually have friends. It's not, it's not funny. It's actually sad, but uh, I have friends that still have not uh, gotten internet back. They're still, they're still out of internet because the infrastructure was just impacted so, so badly by the hurricane. Golly. But, um, yeah, I remember the first night, you know, I, I got my wife and my, my, my son at the time, he was like six months old. You know, I got them out of there and we went to Miami where we realized that the hurricane was very likely coming towards us. Um, and it was big and bad. And it was like, this is no place for a, you know, a young, young child and young family. So we took a, another couple of uh, the friend, friends of ours that, you know, the wife's pregnant. So we got them out and we went to Miami and uh, waited out the storm and our, on a, Thursday, I came back the day after just to kind of come see uh, what the what the damage looked like. And man, it was just it blew my mind how bad it was. And it was just like such an emotional moment to like see my childhood, you know, home and childhood uh, just community completely destroyed. Like just just completely. I, I shouldn't say completely destroyed. It seemed like it at the time. Like it was completely destroyed because I mean there's just so much damage everywhere. But the reality was that, you know, many of us, uh, many of our homes were spared. And even if there was severe damage, you know, both, both my parents lost good portions of their roofs. My mom's house flooded about six inches. Um, and she had five docks in her backyard and a, a boat on her, on her dock. And there's a boat on her neighbor's house. And you know, my dad lost a, a big portion of his roof and he had flooding right up to the edge of his, his, his tile. And thankfully it just didn't, didn't make it over that point. So it didn't really make it into the main part of the house. Um, so yeah, there's severe damage, but at the end of the day, we still had our, our, you know, the structure of our homes. Um, and, and most of us still had somewhere to stay, fortunately. And, um, you know, since then the, the community has come together and really immediately, I would say that the community came together and started helping everybody out. Um, and looking for ways to serve others, which uh, when, I, when we first got into town, I remember that that night, Thursday night, my uh, my neighbor two doors down, which is my childhood friend's parents, um, their house had flooded pretty pretty bad. 
six six inches of water in their house, and we were fortunate that we had no water um, to speak of in our house. We, we got some in like the laundry room, but it wasn't a big deal. So we went over there, and at, at you know eight p.m., there's no power, no electricity. So we had little headlamps on, and we we're just tearing out their carpet, you know, just pulling everything out. I had me and a couple buddies, and you know, just the 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 least we could do, I felt like. Oh, man, yeah, this, this carpet, this furniture, it's soaked. We need to get this out of here. So we, we, you know, we tore it all out and dragged it up to the street. And um, it's been like that for, for months now or anyone that needs something. And there's been numerous needs, but anyone that needs something, it seems like there's always someone there um, to, to help out and give a, give a helping hand. So that's been really cool to see. And just the way like, neighbors interacted after the storm. Um, was really encouraging because, you know, we live, live in a day and age where there's a lot of division between people, unfortunately. For sure. And I think people are a little more disconnected than they have been in the past due to social media, due to you know political views and politics really seeping into every aspect of life, unfortunately. Um, but after the storm, it was like everybody was talking to everybody because we had no electricity and we had no internet. You know, we still had cell phones and very minimal data and very minimal, uh, access to, to the towers, I guess. We, we didn't have much service. But, uh, yeah, anyways, people were just talking left and right and helping out left and right. So I thought that was really, really cool to see. And, you know, they are able to fix uh, many of the roadways, like the, the Sanibel Causeway and the, the bridge that goes out to Pylon Sound. In a very short amount of time, they were able to get um, a lot of local workers in there and were able to get those uh, roadways back up and running so they could get the uh, – you know, emergency vehicles out there to help people. And then eventually they're able to get, you know, power back out to the islands and, and internet as well. Definitely. Yeah. So it's, it's been a, it's been a process, you know, I could talk about it for a long time. There's a lot of things that happened over the last few months that were pretty, uh, pretty crazy and also pretty amazing. But uh, as a whole, I can say it's, it's encouraging to see how the, the area has rebounded. And for anyone that, you know, that vacations down here is considered vacationing down here. It's still a beautiful place to come to. Still are opportunities to get out in the water and fish. Um, beaches wise, I'm not sure what all is open for beaches, but um, if you're able to get out on a boat, you can definitely access the beaches still. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure where Santa Bell and Fulmar's Beach are at right now. I'd recommend looking that up, but most of our restaurants are open and the weather's beautiful this time of year. So if you're considering it or have considered it definitely come on down to Southwest Florida. We could, we could definitely use the, the tourism dollars for sure. And it'll be worth the time. You'll enjoy it down here. Uh, yeah. That, that I think we talked about at the beginning as well, man, it, the, the beauty that comes from when these big storms hit, we saw it up here with Florence is just the community that grows out of it. I mean, like you said, the, a lot of, you know, areas you might not have never talked to your neighbors and you have a big hurricane come through a lot of damage. You don't have internet and everybody's out in the road helping each other and, um, just seeing mm-hmm. that that community come together is really cool and really powerful and, and awesome to know that that's going on down there. Um, but man, thank yeah. you so much for for hopping on the podcast. Definitely want to do another one with you sometime, and just really uh, a privilege to get to hear your story and hear the story of, of Florida fishing products. And um, I hope I hope uh, all the listeners enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up here. Um, but but Ty, thank you so much again, man. Yeah, you're welcome, Judd. Thank you so much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, go check out Florida Fishing Products. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Eastern Current Podcast, and we'll see you all next week. Later.